Stardate 0512.2022. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod. Kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new and classic Star Trek. I'm Mike Garcia, your reluctant captain, and with me on the view screen, here to help me break down the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, episode two, is Clyde Haynes. What's up, Clyde? Hey, Mike. It's good to be in, in the pod with you, man. Yeah, I'm happy to be back after a, a short absence, but tonight uh, we are down one crew member or one shipmate. Uh, Mariah is out hog hunting, allegedly. Hunting hogs. Can you picture that? I, I don't even picture Mariah as a meat eater. So <laughs> I, I don't know that she is, but... Okay, we'll put a pin in that. Maybe maybe <laughs> not the, the Star Trek podcast content people came for tonight. But Mariah will be back next week, and we should have a full house next week. And maybe some guests down the line to help us talk about this season of Strange New Worlds. But today, we are uh, going to talk about Children of the Comet. Before we get to that, I want to remind everybody to visit us at patreon.com slash Star Trek pod to get, uh, dive into our uh, Star Trek fan Slack channel. And there you can check out a bunch of watch parties. There's essentially like watch alongs of old and new Trek shows going on every night in the Slack pretty much. So check that out and just follow us. Just go to Star Trek co and you can sub to the podcast, sub to the YouTube channel there. And that's, those are a couple of ways you can support us. Also, if you're watching live, Clyde, tell people what they can do uh, if they're watching live. Well, if you're watching us live on the stream, there are two things that you can do to really feel like you are part of the show, right? One, if you have a comment or question, um, you want to just say something to us and maybe we'll put in the show, then all we need to, you to do is to type capital P, capital O, capital D, capital pod in the chat. And if you have a poignant thought about the show, when it comes that time, all we need you to do is to write capital HF and your thought in the pod, and we'll take a look at it. All right, let's talk about the second episode of Strange New Worlds. I wasn't here for the premiere. We talked about the premiere last week, and I wasn't around. Um, real quick, real quick, before we get into what we're going to get into, I just want to say that I'm super excited about this show. I shared about it on Twitter, but... Um, it's almost like I'm not going to say they perfected New Trek with Strange New Worlds, but I think we're getting there. I think um, this might be like the best version of New Trek that we've gotten since Discovery. Not to dog on Discovery, not to dog on Picard or anything. I do love those shows, but it just feels like Kurtzman and company are really building and learning from the past like several years since disco started and are creating a first season because we watched the first five episodes because we got screeners so i think and that's half the season paramount was so confident it's only in 10 episodes i'm already disappointed yeah. paramount was so confident that they sent out half the season to critics and um there wasn't i mean i i'm really loving this show so if the first five episodes are that good, then I think the back half of, of the season's probably going to be pretty good. And then season two is just going to get better and better. So I'm really, I'm pretty excited about this show. Hey, Mike, there's a lot of crazy talk out there 
that Strange New World is the best new Trek series, period, point blank, end of statement. Where, well, where are you in this debate? Um, I will say that it's one of my favorites. I've only seen five hours. We've gotten like four yeah. seasons of Disco, two seasons of Picard, two seasons of uh, Lower Deck. So it's kind of hard to compare. Don't you know, forget the, a Prodigy. Can't and prodigy, the, kids. the quantity isn't there yet. So I don't know. And I don't want to divide people. I just want to state my opinion that I'm, I'm loving it. And I'm super happy about this. The golden age, this new golden age of Trek just keeps like giving us more. Um, but we're here to talk about episode two. I know before we get there, I, I, I want to say, I agree with you. Okay. And I think what's, what's interesting to me about strange new worlds is disco feels like it's this, you know, not quite an anthology, but we get these seasons that are powerful with these big arcs, right? What's interesting to me about about Strange New Worlds is this finally feels like the show. How do I say this and not offend people? This feels like the Grey's Anatomy of Star Trek, right? Like this is the show that if Paramount wanted to they're gonna run seasons forever about this like the way it sets up i feel like we easily could get 10 12 seasons of, of this right where characters evolve we get new characters characters leave like the way they've set it up it just feels like it has longevity built into it I agree. Um, I wouldn't call it the Grey's Anatomy uh, of Star Trek. Not, not, not a huge fan of that show. I would call it the uh, the Fringe of Star Trek. Fringe did okay. a great job of of telling episodic stories, really intriguing episodic science fiction based stories that were weaved into long form plot arcs, narrative arcs, and uh, had a lot of character growth within the episodes and seasons, which is what we're getting here. Um, and it's exciting that we're getting that we're getting a show that has, uh, that can tell us a potent story from beginning to end in one hour or 45 minutes, whatever it is. But then weave in these really great, compelling character arcs and development over an entire season, over an entire series. That's just, that's just good TV. Um, but Hey, it's time for hot freaks. All right, episode two of Strange New Worlds, Children of the Comet, written by Henry Alonzo Myers and Sarah Tarkoff, directed by Maja Vrilo, who's directed lots of disco. Clyde, give me your hot freak on this episode. So I think this was a good episode, right? I think when I think about the, the pilot, uh, I was really excited. Like the pilot gave me all, all kind of feels. This was more character building, and I really appreciated um, some of the things that we got to see. So we got to see um, parts of the ship that we hadn't seen before. We got to see some humor. We got to see a different um, kind of side of Uhura, right? I think what's interesting to me is I look at this and I go, we're getting kind of junior pre-swag Uhura. Right. Like a lot of people will look at this and go, well, I'm used to her being very confident, very sure of herself. Like this is fresh out of college. Uhura, and you got to think about it. 
what this takes place uh what TOS is is what are, are we was it 8 10 years later what do we got do we know what ten, time is 10 years yeah 10 years so you got to think about that you think about somebody from when they're like 22 right a cadet and 10 years later when we meet her and she's a grizzled veteran she's been in these space combats like if if this is stuff she would be very sure of herself 10 years later so so this is exciting to see somebody this is the prequel of like how they got there right, right. so i you know i love i love that type of stuff so it, it was great to see that we get a kind of a, a ship to ship dog fight battle like, like this is shaping up to be a fun show um and we get to see uh, a few things and for me while i was a little worried i mean when they when the away team stepped into into that the transporter and i'm looking at this and going all right you got lon she's not going anywhere you got you got spock we know he's he's a lifer uhura we know she she makes it to tos and you got this guy you got kirk and it's like mm, is he not gonna make it back like already i was not, like mm, we're gonna see but it's not canon that he dies on this mission he dies no. on another mission so <laughs> no and so it was just one of those things and, and surely enough he does something stupid and i was like okay so we we even get like trek tropes and yeah. so it's uh i thought this was a fun good episode i enjoyed it it was a good watch I think this one probably hit a lot of like old Trek fans like in the sweet spot, right? You had a lot of tropes, old Trek tropes, but it felt warm. It felt comfortable. The pacing was like pretty perfect. Like sometimes Disco's pacing can be a little rushed. Um, but the pacing here wasn't as slow as say 60s or, you know, Brandon Braga era Trek, mm. but it was a, it was a good like, midpoint between that and between like um the super fast jj abrams action track right um this was a very good episode of star trek uh one thing i loved about it is that the show is already starting to fulfill the promise of uh developing the supporting characters in very compelling ways like like you said with the horror right like the original series didn't often give her a lot to do. And obviously her character development suffered because of that. But now strange new worlds is here to say, Hey, we can give you all the captain Pike and all the Pike poof that you want. And I want it all. We can give you all the Spock that you want, all those heroics from these like two classic characters but we're not going to give it to you at the expense of developing or propping up these other supporting characters like they did in the 60s series. Like Uhura was around, but she was in the background. Maybe throughout the entire three seasons, we saw her do something cool like two or three times, right? Now she's an actual character. So whether they're legacy characters like uhura or newer characters we're going to get to see more of that and i think this show is even doing a better job than of developing the supporting characters or the entire bridge crew than disco does so like bravo to that like it felt like coming out of the last season of discovery and going into strange new worlds the kurtzman and the creators were talking a lot about how this show would 
right what they saw not necessarily were wrongs but that the original show didn't allow characters like uhura to be explored or developed in a really compelling way and i think that was a great promise about this show that they could do that and i think they're really doing that so far it's only been two episodes like i said we saw five already but i mean the future's pretty bright for this show is all i can say um so i really liked it but it was it was pretty tropey but i i, I really enjoyed it um let's get into some of the hot freaks that we have uh in the chat so carolyn k3 says una saying mate maybe you don't have to ruin your life was really cringe like don't talk about disability like that oh yeah there's this debate going on that um you know a, a big um idea that is haunting our captain pike and maybe you guys talked about this last week is he got a glimpse of his future and discovery and that is still hang hanging over his head in this episode we see that in, in this great um scene this dinner scene where it's just so perfect that pike is the kind of captain that invites everybody over to his uh space apartment and is like i'm gonna cook y'all ribs and stuff and everybody come and hang out bring your wine dress down it's all good and his space apartment. I know it's captain's quarters, so I'm just going to call it a space apartment because if I lived in space, I would want that to be my apartment. I mean, that's like a so space cool. penthouse. Like I was, yeah, pimp. Like it was, that was great. The space condo. But there was a moment there when Uhura is talking about, um, I think he asked Uhura about her 10 year plan and he stumbles when he talks about the 10 year plan and Una notices and it does seem like they've been treating um, Pike's eventual um, disability as a death, but I, you know, uh, and there's, there's a lot of people out there who do do deal with these kinds of differently abled issues who do believe that it's, it's a little harsh and we shouldn't necessarily be framing it that way. And those points are totally valid. I just perhaps see it as more of a character development for Pike um, in terms of acceptance. And um, maybe he's going to develop a different way to look at this going forward. But how do you feel about that thread hanging over Pike's head? The fact that he is going to be, he, he knows his fate and we're slowly marching towards it. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest in, in that I think it makes sense, right? I, 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 I read all the comments and I see people going, well, it's not death. It's not death. It's not death. And I completely agree. But we have the advantage of sitting here in the cheap seats and discussing how someone else is dealing with this. And I have to think that if, you know, and I'll just, I'll, I'm not going to put this on anyone else. If if I was facing down the the kind of the certainty of knowing that my entire life was going to be changed, right? That I was going to get a a dis a, a, um, a disabling um, diagnosis, right? A catastrophic di diagnosis that, and I say catastrophic in the fact that much of everything that I have planned for, hope for, how I view myself and my life 
is going to change drastically. I think for us to expect for him to get over that quickly isn't realistic. I think in the best of time, people who get diagnosed with something struggle with accepting that diagnosis. Right. And so I think that's where he is. And so do I believe that he will get over? I hope so. Right. But right now he's looking going, man, there's all these things I wanted and it doesn't feel like that's possible. Right. Like I've, I've had a loved one who we thought early on in their life, they were, that they were going to have a tremendous amount of, of issues. And so I've had to come with like, wow, what's that going to be like for them? Right. All these things that I thought was going to happen were not going to happen. Um, and so I, I, it takes a little while. Like, I think we're, I think we're being a little cavalier with kind of expecting him to be like, yep, I'm good. It's going to be great. And I think having someone like Una who's going, okay, at some point you've got to stop throwing a pity party for yourself. And at the very least, if you know you have 10 years, this is your opportunity to really focus on the 10 years and, and do to the best of your ability. And then hopefully in that time, you're going to be able to grow and accept and think about, well, how do I maximize my life? Like the benefit that he has is he knows it's coming. Right. And so he gets to prepare for it. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think we're seeing him like grapple with it and, I mean, no one's going to have the perfect response to something like that right off the bat. Um, And I don't even know if it's the point of view of the show that his eventual situation is framed as a death. It might just be the character's character's perception of it. And with somebody like Pike, you know that that is going to evolve. I mean, we saw a great arc where it was really haunting him in the first episode, in the premiere. He didn't even want to go back on the ship. And there was this great scene where one of the biggest Star Trek tropes that Strange New Worlds inverted in the first episode was when a captain sees a ship for the first time after a long time. We see it in the motion picture. We've seen it in uh, other movies and, and episodes. And then the captain is always like, wow, there's my ship. There's my baby. And it's like this glory shot of the ship and the captain is really soaking it in and can't wait to get on the ship and is really taking in that beautiful view of the ship, whether it's out in space or in space dock. And we got that scene in the premiere episode of Strange New Worlds with Pike, but Pike looked at the ship almost with contempt or with fear um, because he was very uncomfortable going down this road again with this foreknowledge and i thought that was a great inversion um so this show gets play with uh, a lot of these tropes these trick tropes it gets to like place out in a very classic way we saw in this episode and deepen them but also like invert them too so it's a good show um chupi has a hot freak the captain's quarters are my new crush Invite me to dinner. Loved the whole thing and even thought it was a horror show. Even though it was a horror show, I still super, I was still super taken by Spock. Peck is really killing it. Okay, before we dive into um, Uhura, Cecilia Rose Gooding, who's just knocking it out of the park as Uhura, how are you feeling about Peck? I thought he showed some like 
Nimoy chops in this episode? I thought, I thought he, I mean, I think in both episodes, he's done a really good job. Um, you know, I think we're having a an interesting conversation. I, I was talking to someone earlier today and they asked me, what do you what did you think of Ito's performance as Guinan in Picard? And I remarked, you know, it's, it's really challenging to play such an iconic character in a younger version of themselves. And so I think when you see someone doing it well, you're like, wow, congratulations. I I, I understand the degree of difficulty. Peck is the same way to me. It's like to step into, like, you're talking about Leonard Nimoy's shoes. That's huge. Um, and that's, a, like, that's a big deal. And as we get glimpses of other people, like, imagine someone wanting to s- step into McCoy's shoes, right? Like, that's, you, you're talking about some iconic characters here. And I feel like sometimes when you've seen them, they've screwed it up. Like, I, I feel like we've got a young version of Picard. And I was just kind of like, who is this clown? Right. Tom Hardy. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, but I don't. Tom Hardy's fine. I don't know that I appreciate the performance. You dissing on Shinzon, bro? In I'm front not, of me not, right now? Not so much Shinzon. You're dogging I'm on like a... Shinzon, the man? No. Dude, but he grew up in the pits with the Remans, bro. His Reman brothers. Yeah, he helped them I'm... rise up and That's... take over Romulus, bro. He, he's 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 amazing. My All right, point another is, day. Yes, another day. We can have that's that's for Patreon. Um uh, Mike and Clive versus Shinzon. Um yeah. my thought on Peck was I'm not looking at him going, not not anymore. Right, like I'm not looking at him. I'm looking at him as as this character is going. You're giving me more, and so I really, I actually really like him. Like he he's developing his own Spock, and I think I think it's got staying power. So I've I've actually been impressed with him, um, and it feels authentic and true. Yeah. I've been really impressed with him in this series. I liked him a lot in Discovery. I think it took him a few episodes to kind of really get into the character. And also the way the character was introduced was a little strange. Like he was, it, I don't want to go into it, but it was just a weird like way to introduce Spock. I think he was like mute for a whole episode when we first met him. And I mean, not not to mention, and, and this has nothing to do with Peck, but in Discovery, they we were waiting on him to show up. So that anticipation, right. like... It was high. It's high. Whereas with Guinan, she shows up and you're like, oh, okay. Right. This is like, okay, wait, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And each time he doesn't show up, but as mentioned in an episode, you're going, all right, where is he? This better be good. And so I think he's done a pretty good job in that. But you were, you were saying that you like him. I like him a lot. I think in this episode, um, it was great to see him develop or start to develop that relationship that he'll eventually have with Uhura that we've seen in the movies and the original series. And his the pep talk moment was great because he doesn't re- he gives a very Vulcany pep talk. But then when he really showed some Nimoy chops to me was when he comes back with a real pep talk and he really digs into the idea of singing and to make this work because i think that the singing thing was a little corny and a little tropey 
Um, it was fine. It just wasn't great. But the idea that someone, a character like Spock, who rarely ever breaks down that logical barrier, decided that, oh, the logical thing to do here is to be a little whimsical and step out of myself and follow the lead of this cadet who's also being whimsical in order to save our lives. I thought that was such a great um, way to show us the dimensions of this version of Spock. You know, he can be a little whimsical. And then I know there's probably a lot of uproar right now over the laugh that we got at the end of the episode when the whole the whole thing is like, uh, in order for for this comet not to crash into this uh, planet and destroy it, Spock has to go and like microwave it down the middle in the in the uh, in the shuttle, right? And the show does this really, at least at the t at the time when it was happening, the show does this really odd, tropey, cliche thing that kind of makes us think, or tries perhaps tries to make us think, oh, did Spock not survive this? Is he okay? Which of course we know he is. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's that moment of where's Mr. Spock? He accomplishes mission, but did he survive? And I'm just kind of checking my watch. Like, of course he did. They're just going to show him on screen and everything's fine. But instead of him coming on the view screen and saying, Captain, mission accomplished, everything's fine, I'm heading home, or coming on the comm and saying that, we hear the laugh, which made that whole tropey moment of waiting to see whether or not he survived worth it for me. I just thought it was, it was great. It was combining the old with the new, like the, the mm -hmm. trope of, oh, is this character dead or not? And then the new being seeing Spock show some emotion. And there's context built up for that display of emotion at the beginning of the episode that pays off at the end. Um, I haven't like looked on Twitter to see if people are upset about Spock laughing in this episode. What would you think about that moment? Yeah, I I've heard I've heard some some people talking about it. Um and my thought was was simply I've heard Data laugh. So this isn't a big deal for me, right? Like that that was a little like what the hell is that? Um initially this is the same type like like to your point mike this is about showing emotion this is about this balance between the logical and the emotion and i think that's what's interesting about this version of spot that i feel like we adds to the canon if you will is that tos spock was very much logical like we got a lot of lot like it was it was it was very much logic and for him to be a Vulcan, or more accurately, half Vulcan, I feel like we're getting a fuller picture. And it'll be interesting to me to see if the Ethan Peck Spock graduates and evolves to a Leonard Nimoy, Nimoy Spock, right? Because we're getting a lot of pieces of Spock that we hadn't gotten before that's much more, honestly, human. And like he's got a sister that he cares about, that he he says he's worried about. He, you know, he misses. Like these are things that that we would not expect Leonard Nimoy Spock to see, to say. Yeah. And, and so my question is: Are the writers working to take him to this place where he's much more in control, a place where to bring would actually like him to be? So there's a mm -hmm. so, so to me. 
they're very subtly a lot of interesting storylines and plot points ahead for Spock. Um, which yeah. which is hard when you think about this is a character we've seen not only in series but in films and I feel like Spock has popped up in more things than most. Like Spock popped up in a JJ Abrams version of Spock, right? Like like it's it's just fascinating for a character we've seen so much of. There's even more to discover. It's exciting. There is, and I, I might be an outlier here. Um Uh-oh. but in the fandom, but I don't care about like canon stuff. If they can make it like if they, if they can make it fit canon and they do it in a graceful way, that's cool, right? Um, in terms of Spock or any of the characters or events that we see in these prequel series, especially this one. But if if we get a whole different Spock than we've ever seen before that doesn't necessarily reconcile with a Spock we know from TOS or the TOS movies or even the Kelvinverse movies, but if the characterization of Spock is cool, if it's well-written, if it's engaging and compelling in a different way, I say, let's do it. You know, I don't care. You know, Mike, you bring up an interesting point. Something that I don't think about is the Kelvin universe's Spock Uhura like relationship. Right. And kind of where that sits in canon for at least in my head. Right. Because I felt like they had a a very professional relationship in TOS. Um it'll be interesting to see where this series goes with that. Yeah, I think it's one of the more exciting aspects. Also exciting, lots of ex- exciting stuff about this series, Clyde, is, again, going back to Uhura, Kern's Hot Freak says, we learn more about Uhura than we did in all of, the T- all of TOS or the movies. It was about time. Hashtag facts. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, um, I, I think... Uh, Celia Rose Gooding is doing a great job. She's the character has a real genuine sense of um, innocence and apprehension, but savvy and intelligence, right? She's probably one of the smartest people in that, in that dinner. She can speak what I mean, and people are already 37 un- languages. People are already underestimating her. It's like, oh, you can speak 12. Actually, I can speak 36. I had to learn 22 because I live in Kenya, 22 different languages. Plus, hello, this is Star Trek. There's a thousand other languages. So I went ahead and learned all of them too. Oh, wow. And even her, the hazing stuff was kind of fun and kind of light, but the way she took it in stride was great. And then the sort of introduction that we got to Hammer. The um, and the blind Andorian character. I like him. I like him a lot. (laughs) And you can kind of feel that they're giving Ahura a hard time in that episode, in in that scene where she meets them. Um, And it's not a real, it's not a real good look for her because she comes up and just offends him. And then you got Spock, Spock explaining to her what's going on and. It's not a good look for her. But then she comes back. And not only does she have a witty retort 
in Hammer's native language, but also in Vulcan. And then she just walks away. And it's perfect. And right then and there, both of those characters, who are very hard to impress, earn a lot of respect for her. And I love that Ohura is finally getting that, um, is finally being put on a pedestal as a character who is like um, worthy of uh, the respect of some of the more uh, senior staff members. We got a little bit of that in the, in the Abrams version um, where Uhura got a lot more to do and was a lot more respected among, amongst her crew members. But with this series, I think, I think they're taking it to a whole new level and giving us a character that is much more complex. So are you liking the, uh, are you liking the performance? First of all, I am, I am. I think it, I think it's incredible in terms of, of, of what we're getting this richness from all the characters. Um, it'll it'll be really interesting um to see where they go with with the questions i mean with the, with the, with the character development i was a little iffy on the idea that her parents and her brother died tragically i didn't really like why i don't know that that just seemed kind of odd to like throw a bunch of trauma but you know knowing this show they'll turn it into fodder for like a good character based story down the line so i'm kind of holding judgment on that a little bit. I did like the idea that Uhura kind of doesn't, she's not a Star Trek, like tryhard. She's yeah. a, a Starfleet tryhard, which, which is what we get most of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. It's all these people yeah. like it's the enterprise. Yeah. I've wanted this my entire life. Right. Oh, I've made it. <laughs> and then, and Uhura's like, eh, I don't, I don't know yeah. if I want to be here. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it does set up a dynamic for for her to be a bit of an outsider and a bit of a newcomer. And for her to have a relationship where she can learn from somebody like Spock, who's like, yeah, I get that. You don't necessarily know where you want to be in 10 years or where you belong. But, hey, there are a lot of people who would kill to be in your spot. So maybe figure that shit out because you might be standing in someone else's way. And then as the episode goes on, she, she naturally, I think in this, in this episode, she comes to understand that she is right where she needs to be, which is great. And I think Spock validated that at the end. And I really like the scene down on the, uh, the comet robot thing, jukebox, whatever it was when, um, Uhura is really doubting herself because I'm a cadet. I'm not supposed to be here. I shouldn't be the one here. And she's freaking out. And Spock is like, hey, the best thing you can do right now is take away all those I shouldn't be here and I'm not prepared um, thoughts and replace them with I am here. I am in the moment. And I have talents and I can figure this out. So just be present in the moment because you're all we have. And yeah. I think that really thematically also it resonated with me because it felt like Spock was telling her to do that with her own life, to realize you are where you are, make the best of it. Um, that really resonated with me. I think if I had a mentor like that, when I was a, when I was a young cadet in Starfleet, that would have really helped me figure out what I wanted to, wanted to do in Starfleet and where I wanted to go. I think that is 
that's one of the things I'm really excited about that I like in this relationship is this mentor mentee relationship yeah. because it, it really does help us. I mean, that's that's the leadership that we that we love about yeah. Trek, right? That that that's that's what we see so often. Um, and I I'm also interested to see where the rest of the cast, the crew, especially the bridge crew, how they develop. One of the things that I think we love about Discovery is they seem like a very close bridge crew. We think about TOS and TNG, like that bridge crew gets to be like a family within a family, right? I don't know that they're there yet. Like it feels like they're they're very new. Um you know, but Ortegas is funny. Um <laughs> Ortegas makes me laugh. And I I think when one thing that we that we've been seeing probably since I don't know that we saw it in TNG, but it feels like in every series since TNG, there's always somebody who dubs themselves the best pilot in Starfleet, right? There's always somebody's like, I'm the best. Um, and so to see Ortega's kind of look at like I'm the best <laughs> early on, it's kind of neat. And we're actually seeing some 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 pretty nifty uh uh work behind the con. Episode two and we already got the Ortega's maneuver, right? Yes, the Ortega's defensive maneuver, which was actually pretty evasive dope. Maneuver, yeah. The evasive maneuver, yeah. I was like, oh, that's that's a cute thing. But then when you actually see the animation of the ship, like mm-hmm. dodge all those photon blasts, I was like, and get hit by some because yeah. that's real, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Like yeah. you're not gonna dodge them all. What you're doing is you're trying to reduce the amount of of impacts you get. Uh, yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That was a blast. Um, Carolyn K has a hot freak. Uh, Lon did not feel like the character they established last week. They should have had a random down there to do that blah role. That was a real weakness. You know, I wanted to bring Carolyn's comment up here because I agree. Um, If there was a weakness in this episode, it was like Lon was just there. Is it Lan or Lon? Newton Singh. Lon. Lon. Okay. Lon. I like Lon. And I like the actor playing long. I think it's a strong role and strong performance. But in this episode, it was more like Lon was just there to look intimidating and act intimidating and to intimidate everybody around her and to be like just like a, a stuffy, you know, obstacle. Like it's like, hey, Lon, can you help us sing? Nah, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um, we will see a lot more cool shit from lawn in this series trust me guys but um but yeah i I think if there was a weakness it was just kind of i guess focusing on one character for the most part here in terms of the development some of the other supporting characters got short shrift like we didn't even see in yeah you're you're right but it's it's interesting now that you mention it mike i think what happened was you almost never beam down to right it's like four seems to be the standard away team configuration. Um, but this was really a vehicle for Spock and Ahura. And so what happens is you beam down four. And then what you do is you immediately incapacitate one. And you ignore the, the other. And so you get your, your, your dynamic duo that you can focus on. Um, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it didn't really see, like she seemed much more authoritative, much more sh- strong-willed and decisive in episode one than she did in episode two. But I think that's probably just a, 
a, a plot device yeah. to get us more one-on-one time with Spock and Uhura. At least we got some space, some uh, like FaceTime with her. You yeah. can say space time. Okay. I um, also have to say that I'm I'm interested in seeing when I think about when we came into this, what were the big questions that we had about this this the show? One of the things I think we were interested in was knowing more about Una. Yeah. Right, this this number one character. Um, this feels like this is our first time up close and personal with number one. Um, I kind of want to know more about her and see if we'll get we'll get more information on her. Yeah, yeah, me too. I do like that she is. We got we got more scenes here, letting us know how deep her relationship really is with Pike. Mm-hmm. In terms of their camaraderie, in terms of how private they are with each other, where she's essentially trying to knock him out of his anxiety about, you know, this coming issue that that's going to happen to him in what, 10 years or so. Um, but yeah, we didn't get a lot of her in this episode either. Um, I want to mention sudden but inevitable's comment. Uhura is the audience avatar for spouses asked to watch Trek. Okay, I think that's that's great because she's just kind of ambivalent about the whole thing. She's kind of like, okay, this is fine. There's lots to talk about. Uh, Sam Kirk's mustache. Okay, that was Sam Kirk was essentially there to make a, a Yahtzee joke, <laughs> um, which the best part of that was Spock being like, "Yeah, bro, I know Yahtzee. Let's let's go." Um, <laughs> <laughs> which was just an, another unexpected thing to hear out of Spock's mouth. Uh, first the Yahtzee thing, then the laughing at the end and then singing lots of weird, unexpected Spock yeah. shit in this episode, but okay. He was there to make a Yahtzee joke. He was there to, to also encourage Uhura. He seems like a really nice, genuine character. Who's also a dumbass Cause he's going to go touch the shiny thing and get shocked. So, like, yeah. like for real, and people are going, "Hey, I think you should." No, 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 but like, literally, the words is there's a uh, there's a charge building, right? That's more duck and cover than let me put my hand on this thing. He is he is the kid who stuck his finger in the light socket, or stuck a fork in the light socket, like over and over again. He's the kid who, when they said, "Hey, don't touch that stovetop; it's hot," he put both hands on the stovetop. <laughs> When he was a kid, yeah, that's Sam uh, Kirk. It's it'll be interesting to see what they do with this character because right now he he is a bit of a buffoon, um, and it's funny because th- though that word that name Kirk carries so much gravitas, right? To make a character that's pretty effectively a dumbass is funny to me, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting that we talk more about his mustache than things he actually said or contribute to the scene. So <laughs> I love that, you know, during the, like the briefing, like it's not at the dinner, it's like at the actual briefing about the mission and they're talking about specifics and what they can do about the comet to save this planet. Pike's like mustache is kind of growing on me anyway. <laughs> So there's some comments. There's some comments in the uh, in the chat that really are saying that um, that moment where he touches, we steps up and touches it, is basically um, TOS's version of sniffing flowers on strange planets, which they did do way too many times. Yeah. Um, 
so it's the but it's so to me it's funny like we laugh um but i i think sometimes especially in a, an episode like this where you've got a lot going on and and it's it's hitting on on um kind of on leadership and mentorship and and encouragement you need some moments that are just kind of funny um and i think they could have leaned into it a little bit more like he he bounced back but it almost could have been like a real like bounce back and maybe when he hit the ground he bounced a little bit like lean into the the funny to me and i would have been i would have been right there yeah i guess i guess every show needs a buffoon and ours is pencil porn stash uh sam kirk thank you very much um we also didn't get to see a lot of nurse chapel but we did get to see her flirt with spock which is always really fun and i'm here for it so so mike there was something the minute that she popped up on screen yeah. i immediately thought of you i was like mike <laughs> he he's this is gonna be his character like chapel's gonna be be the character for mike and i was like at some he's point cool. I'm, I'm not today cool. not today i'm not asking this question today because we got to get to know him. at some point i'm going to ask mike i'm gonna force you to make a decision detmer or chapel not today but that's gonna come. All right. This, time to, to, this is uh, I, not the content that seventy-eight <laughs> percent of our listeners want to hear. So let's. No, we but I, I hear. I, I know what you're, where you're coming from, and, and we'll get to it. Uh, but I, I am liking. I'm liking her. I'm liking this whole cast. Like that scene where they're talking about they're doing the mission briefing, and Pike just automatically starts talking about the mustache for for a beat, and it goes back. And then Sam makes a joke about it and it goes back. This, there is a lot of chemistry between this, these actors and this, this entire cast where something like that joke within the briefing of a very serious mission can seem like a little odd and a little forced, but here it just feels like, oh, these are just, these are just, it's just like a, a young family talking. Like it feels natural. It feels cool. And that's a sign of a, of a cast that's really gelling and of a writer's room that knows how to write for their actors and characters already. Like that's really encouraging about this. Uh, uh, oh, Marge says the real contest is Detmer versus Ortega's battle of the pilots. I would also put there uh, versus Tom Paris, right? I mean, if we're talking about piloting skills alone, Paris falls out pretty fast in my book. Um, it, it, listen, I need to see more from Ortega, or Ortega's, but because really what I'm looking at, I'm, I'm thinking about what's fresh. Detmer flying through the quantum zone or whatever it was, and Ortega's doing that. Yeah, De Detmer flying through the quantum zone in Ant Man Two was excellent. <laughs> no, or whatever you know when they were in the um, you know just recently, I can't remember what it was. Right, right, um, right. I, right now, I mean, I'm like, and I've seen a little bit more. I'm leaning toward Ortega's, but Detmer's kind of a badass though. So yeah, I'm torn. I'm torn. I I would I would love to. Well, they kind of exist in the same time, don't they? Anyway. I was going to say, I would love to see some cross-referencing like, oh, I learned this from Detmer or I learned this from Ortega's, you know, one or the other. That'd be kind of cool. So let's talk about, let's talk about the actual like mission plot of this episode. We had the, uh, the shepherds pretty on the nose, but the show 
hangs a lampshade on it. Like, okay, this, these, uh, these character, these alien characters that are our obstruction, and this plot is pretty Star Trekky. How huh, guys like mm-hmm. Pike was kind of looking at us and and telling us that, but there was kind of a cool twist because, you know, if you read about Star Trek and you read about some of the more out there or maybe I don't know. Um, left to field ideas Gene Roddenberry had that never made it to air. There's a lot of anti-religious sentiment within uh, Roddenberry's version of Star Trek, which is fine. Um, and uh, there's even a an idea he had where he wanted a uh, Kirk to actually like fight Jesus in an episode, <laughs> which is nuts. But here we get the idea that um, any type of uh, religious fundamentalism is inherently destructive right um which is kind of in line with star trek especially like in my favorite star trek ds9 so i didn't have a problem with it at all uh and it kind of seemed okay this is pretty standard star trek um social commentary and moralizing which is which is great but i didn't see the twist coming at the end where the thematic point was something akin to balancing faith with reason and due diligence produces like the most desirable outcome, which is the preservation of life because the comet somehow um, knew the future. And the only way that the best outcome could happen, which was the preservation of this planet and, and helping it actually grow life was for it to, combine uh the ideas of faith oh let the let the comet do what it's going to do but also with the idea of um reason which is oh if the enterprise crew sees that it's the comet's headed in a destructive direction it's going to do something about it so and i guess the way i'm explaining it is is a little like i don't know kind of kind of kind of hard to grasp but do you get what i'm saying like the show did it a lot more elegantly yeah what you you're saying what you're saying is faith can incorporate science and reason to accomplish its goals yes blasphemy no um (laughs) no i think uh that makes a lot of sense to me yeah but but that it makes sense to me so i i saw that in me it was like it tracks, but it, like you said, it's that's a to me. It was very Star Trek, right? Mm-hmm. There's an asteroid coming to us uh, to hit a planet. The they don't know about it. They're completely unaware and unevolved to the point where they can tell it is up to us to save it. And turns out there is a force that's preventing us to do something, a challenge that that is causing us not to do it. And then they threw in at the end. By the way everything that happened was supposed to happen in order for this to happen. And it was like, Oh, okay, cool. It, it And to, again, when I say it's Star trek it's, you know, we saw this in DS nine with the prophets. Yeah. Right. Like this is, this is, we're in, the, we're in that territory and I love it. I do like it. And maybe some people might gripe that, Oh, that, that plays too much with fantasy. I don't want fantasy in my sci-fi, but but if if 
if it provides a compelling twist to a tropey story, I'm all for it. Like it, it worked out great, I thought. And it just it's very Star Trek, like you said. Um oh suddenly sudden but inevitable says release the Jesus fight. I don't think they ever filmed that. No. <laughs> Maybe we can reenact it, Clay. No. We'll we'll find the band script and do that. No, but all in all, Mike, I, I really did enjoy this. I can't wait to see more. Um, this is, I, I don't know that I'm at a point, because I feel like with Discovery, I got to a point where it was like, oh, it's Thursday. How soon can I watch this episode? Right? I don't know that I'm in that point, right? Really? Um, but I'm in a point where it's like, oh, it's Thursday. Strange New Worlds is coming out. I've, I'm going to watch it, right? This isn't one that I'm going to wait till Friday for. Right. Um, can, can you rank? I, Do you think you can rank yet? Yes. Like, maybe not in, like, the best, just, like, how you're feeling now. Like, which yes. show is one, one it, to... It is easy for me, but that's because, for me, my 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 ranking will change, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's, mine is dynamic. It's not static at all. So, so if you want to, if you want to bring this back up in my face later, I'll just say I changed my mind. Um, and that is right now for me, it is, I would definitely go Discovery, Strange New Worlds. Do you want more than that? You want me to rank, rank, are you, and are you talking right. about new? Re, yeah, new, forever? rank all the okay. new, the right. new live action shows. So Discovery, Strange New Worlds, and Picard. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I was going to toss in the animated ones, but, uh, it, it is in that order. Discovery, Strange New Worlds, and Picard. Yeah. Yeah. This is lower probably... lower decks for me is above Picard right now, okay. but it, but much closer than it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is probably just like stupid lizard brain recency bias, but I'm just gonna say Strange New Worlds, Ooh. number one, Discovery and Picard right now because it's okay. a show I'm watching and I'm really enjoying. And when they sent it to the screeners, I did just devoured them. I couldn't stop watching it. And I, I can't wait for episode six, which I, is the one I haven't seen. So um, yeah. I'm probably showing my hand and how I feel about the other episodes. But but there's a lot more nuance to talk about in terms of those other episodes. So, yeah, I think I think what I like um, and, and while this one could move up is I like the episodic nature. Yeah. Me too. Right. Because to me, it, it, there's, I feel like my world is so full with stuff to do. Discovery is a, okay, now I really got to remember exactly what happened last week because it's really just going to pick up right where they left off. So it's this continuation of this long story. This is back to like, I'm going to sit down for an hour. I'm going to, I'm going to ingest this. I'm going to enjoy it. And then I'm going to, I'm not going to be, left hanging like oh what happens next are they going to get out of that whatever yeah um and i kind of appreciate that yeah i mean i second what marge is saying in the comments the episodic format allows so much more freedom and flexibility it's true they can do a new story every week they can even do a mini plot arc of two episodes and have a beginning middle and end and we can literally visit strange new worlds every time and mentioning that i really liked the the alien design of the uh the aliens that were on the planet i thought they looked amazing the makeup and the mask were really convincing and really great and 
while the Enterprise didn't exactly send an away team down there to visit that world, we still got a look at a strange new world, which is something that this show has promised for pretty much every episode. You're going to see strange new worlds. You're going to see new aliens. And um, we're going to go somewhere different every episode. And that's pretty exciting. Agreed, oh. man. What's that? And people are with you. Stress-free K, Stress-free K says Disco number one, Strange New Worlds number two, Lower Decks four, and Picard. So, I, I mean, Disco for me is just, the, the again, right now we're looking at two to five episodes. We got a lot of Disco. And when I look at Disco and I think about not only um, Burnham and Book and... Like I, when I think of Stamets, right? Hammer seems interesting, right? But you've got Stamets and you've got Jet Reno. Like they're just characters there that I really like. And then what they did with like Owo and Detmer in the last couple seasons, yeah. and really Bryce and and developing those characters, and then adding, you know, Van. Like there's it's just so deep. It's so much deeper right now that that holds me. Yeah. We're just getting started with with strange new worlds, and there's an opportunity for it for it to to be that and more possibly. I hear you, and I think the promise is there because we've seen two episodes. The these actors and this crew is already gelling. We're already getting some depth and some great like back and forth between them. Some great chemistry. Imagine three seasons down the line how mm. how great that chemistry is going to be like oh i can't wait um but yeah i i was into this episode i'm really looking forward to the next one sounds like you are too everyone yes. thank you so much for joining us tonight anything else you want to say about this episode of strange new worlds club no uh i would encourage you if if you can rewatch it it's it's, it's a good one you can visit us at star trek pod.co you can subscribe to the pod there and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, Clyde, where can people find us uh, on social? You can find us at StarTrekPod.co um, and at StarTrekPod on our socials. And visit Patreon.com slash StarTrekPod. Dive into that um, Star Trek fan Slack channel for just two bucks an episode. You're going to get talk to a ton of positive uh, Star Trek fans. Uh, having watch parties all the time, just talking Trek. Uh, we got a spoiler channel in there. You can mute that if you want, but it's really fun to dive into those new episodes in that spoiler chat. So patreon.com slash Star Trek Potty. We also have bonus pods up there. And I th we will be back next week, and hopefully we'll have a full house with Mariah back after she's done hunting hogs. We're going to have to get that story uh, when she comes back. All right, I'm everyone. I'm expecting her to have a new motorcycle. Live long and prosper. <laughs>